you can have a gaming room, but if no one's using it because everyone's stressed out and being chaotic, then it really doesn't exist. It's there, but it's really not there. So, so just knowing that, that, you know, you can have a gym, you can have all these crazy and, and when I mean crazy, like, you know, some awesome coffee machine and, and, you know, whatnot. But if it's not what the folks want, you're doing a disservice. Like it, it doesn't matter if it's like having a car for someone that can't drive. This is the Coleman Associate Innovation Podcast. Innovation? Yeah, innovation. New, original, and creative. This podcast is designed to challenge the way you think about how healthcare is delivered. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please take your seat and fasten your seatbelt. Welcome to the Coleman Associates Innovation Podcast, the podcast that brings innovations and best practices in healthcare to your podcasting app. I'm Adrian, your host, and today I'm excited to talk about staff well-being and what folks are doing wrong with staff well-being. So this is such a huge problem that we run into in our work at, at Coleman Associates, even if it just comes down to the basics of like, can we do this test of something new? It's like the thing that comes up for us over and over again is like, you know, the short staffing, the turnover. And I mean, I, you just feel it so deeply in any organization that you're in. And so according to Gallup, in terms of kind of the big picture of the staff well-being crisis or problem is the cost of replacing an individual employee can range from one half to two times of that employee's salary. And that's kind of considered a conservative estimate. So at a hundred person organization, and this, this sort of statistic was like, holy crap. So, you know, a hundred person organization, which is a sizable organization, but definitely not the biggest organization that you see in the healthcare space. If you had an average salary at that organization of $50,000, your turnover or replacement costs would be somewhere between $660,000 and $2.6 million per year, right? And that only goes up if you're a bigger organization or if you have higher salaries, but that is a huge chunk of change that can really eat into an organization's budget. And Gallup also estimates they do a lot of work around employee engagement that employees who are not engaged or who are actively disengaged in the work that they're doing cost the world about $8.8 trillion in lost productivity. And personally, my personal take is it's not just lost productivity, but it ends up also like leading into things like pajama time or, you know, even longer sort of work days. And so this, this problem is a big one from a cost perspective and also just from like a, a human perspective of how we want our communities and our employees to to exist and also the future and sustainability of primary care in this country so that we are not losing everybody who is really good at this community-centered sort of care. So I brought together today two of my fellow chispas, Sheree Huff and Gabriel Del Muro, to talk about this issue that we see. I think everyone has met these two at this point, but just in case you haven't, Sheree, she was a COO whenever she left her organization. Her background is in nursing and she worked her way up in her health center, like many people in the health center world. And Gabe did the exact same thing. He started, I think, at the front desk. Is that right, Gabe? Or was it call center? I started off as an MA. An MA. You started as an MA. 
I got cross-trained with the front desk for sure. Oh yeah. That, I mean, everyone in healthcare knows it sucks whenever you're good at your job because you're going to get cross-trained on everything, but you actually started as a patient, right? I was an employee. Okay. And then you worked your way up to being the clinic manager. And so I, I'm excited to have these two with me because they've seen it on the ground and from a leadership perspective, this idea of staff well-being and how you, how you do that well and not just throw money down the drain for it to not work. So just as we kind of get started for this discussion, Gabe and Sheree, can you just share kind of what is your perspective whenever you're going on site and talking to health centers across the country? What are you seeing in terms of staff well-being and kind of how's, how it's going? Yeah, Adrian, be happy to share. So I would say a couple of different things that I've been seeing. To your point earlier around turnover, unequivocally turnover has been a challenge over these last couple of years, especially, I think always, but especially over these last couple of years and the impact of that turnover. And, and really when you start thinking about the people that are left when, you know, one of their colleagues leaves and, and the workload that they end up taking on absolutely has a, a significant impact. And then the other area that I would share just around the staff well-being piece is there are, I guess, different focuses of well-being, right? And and I, I see and hear a lot about, you know, about wellness initiatives, about self-care and things that people need to be doing in, in order to manage their own well-being and 100% support that. That absolutely makes sense. Leaders also have a role though, especially when we're talking about drivers of turnover and and the things that are creating stress within their organization, leaders can have a huge impact. And I think that's a lot of what we want to talk about today is what leaders can do and ways that they can make an impact. Gabe, what's your perspective on this? I would agree with Sheree. I think a lot of the the issues now more than ever, I think with COVID, right? Like there was huge turnovers. There was, you know, folks looking at a different industries and, and, and whatnot. It's also how good are your processes in place? I remember being, you know, walking in as an MA the first day and it's like, I saw paperwork up the wazoo and it gave me a migraine. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to be for me. Right. You know, I stuck it out and I'm still here, but I think part of it's also like how well you have your processes that make it a place where it's an environment that you like to work. Right. And I know that some folks like being upbeat and, and being busy, but it can't be the busy is different from just chaotic and productive, right? So you'll have to make sure that what you're doing is productive and not just e- either chaotic or, or reactive to things that we could have thought about or planned differently. That always makes me think about, I think like, you know, there's there's folks out there that think like the key to staff well-being is, you know, we have to have the beanbag chairs and we need to have the private chef that's there and we have to, you know, have nap pods. And to be clear, I am very open to folks trying out nap pods. I love a good nap pod myself, but I I think like what what you all are really talking about is like you can't just you know, I think I think about like, you know, a lot of us think of like Silicon Valley or something like that whenever we're talking about like staff well-being and what that can look like. For our listeners, I was using heavy air quotes there. And like really what that is what that's done is, you know, if you if you have your gym and your laundry and your doggy daycare and your human child daycare and your uh, private chef there at the workplace is like that really ends up burning people out anyways, because they spend all of their time at work. And instead really focusing in on the processes that can make it so that you have a reasonable day at work. And most importantly, you go home. 
right? And like, that's really that uh, one of the critical parts of staff well-being. I also think we're in a really mission-driven sort of a space. And so for me is part of staff well-being is really getting to like, are we accomplishing our mission? I know that was one of the things that really like, was hard for me whenever I came from nursing school, because I've shared this with you all before is like, you kind of come in all idealistic, and then you get all of your dreams dashed because you can never actually help all the patients that you want to. Uh, Gabe, what would you say to that? Yeah, I I wanted to add on to what you mentioned about the amenities that, you know, folks can have as some of the, you know, wherever you work. At the end of the day, those are great. But they're not great if you can never use them, if you don't have processes in place that allow for you to take advantage of them, right? You can have a gaming room, but if no one's using it because everyone's stressed out and being chaotic, then it really doesn't exist. It's there, but it's really not there. So so just knowing that, that, you know, you can have a gym, you can have all these crazy, and, and when I mean crazy, like, you know, some awesome coffee machine and and, you know, whatnot. But if it's not, what the folks want you're doing a disservice like it it doesn't matter if it's like having a car for someone that can't drive Gabe I love that analogy and and I love your message there too as I'm thinking about that like whether it's a pizza party or a nap chair or something like that on that actually think works against you in some ways uh, if people can't use them because they get frustrated that you've spent money on those things when actually what they need you to do is fix the process or 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 set them up to be able to fix the process themselves. So wholeheartedly agree with your statement there. And even if your health center doesn't have nap pods or like wave boards so people can go from building to building is like, I think the classic example of this is I asked the provider or the MA at an organization, what what lunch, like how long is your lunch that you get? And they're like, well, it's this amount, but I never get to take it. Right. It's like that's like a very simple thing of like making sure people go to lunch on time and actually get to do that. I I'm going to say this, but I actually don't know if this is just an Indiana thing that people say, but it's like putting lipstick on a pig of like, if you have bad processes, but then you're just trying to dress it up is really nice. Like it actually doesn't fix the underlying problem. So I'd say the other thing that I wanted to make sure that I mentioned about kind of the landscape of thinking about employee well-being is I think this is particularly important for us at Coleman Associates, since we're so mission-driven, but also the folks who tend to listen to this podcast from FQs and other safety net organizations is, you know, those safety net organizations inherently, based off their business model, reinvest in communities, right? I I'm going to be honest with you. I don't remember the most recent statistic, but I, I remember learning whenever I was in like my orientation program for my first job in my community health center. And they said, for every dollar that you put into this community health center, about $7 get reinvested in the community. Right. And that's a, a big part of that is because the folks who work in the community health center are members of the community. And so thinking about staff well-being is so important to really thinking about the mission of community health, because if you can provide good jobs for folks in the community, that pays dividends down the line in terms of economic growth, but also in health outcomes. So I guess I want to dive into this topic that Sheree mentioned and where I think we're going to spend some of our focus today, which is how leadership approaches staff well-being and what you're doing wrong slash how you can do it right. 
So I want to dive into this idea of what impact leaders who are listening in on this podcast can have on staff well-being and what they're doing wrong and how they can do it right. So Sheree, can you just give us an overview of when you think about folks are doing staff well-being wrong, what's the checklist that you use of like, here's the areas that are the most common in terms of where folks get this wrong? Yeah, Adrienne. So I'd say there are really four areas. The first I would talk about is this emphasis on self-care and specifically that being the primary or even sometimes only solution to staff well-being. There's also this thought process that you have to spend a lot of money on staff well-being. And I think that there are a lot of tactics that would prove that that's an inaccurate or inaccurate statement or a myth. We also see that leaders sometimes don't focus on the processes. And so kind of getting back to that point of not needing to spend a lot of money, sometimes it's really actually broken processes that are leading to the issues that are driving high stress situations or really frustration from staff. And so there are some simple things that you can do and really think about. There's an AMA initiative, a Steps Forward initiative called Gross Initiative or Get Rid of Stupid Stuff, right? So that's a simple strategy that organizations can look at as a part of their staff well-being and low-cost effort for sure. I, I can't wait to talk about that. This is my first time hearing about it. And one, that's an exceptional acronym. And I absolutely love it. I'm going to make that part of my personal, like what I teach folks is getting rid of stupid stuff. So let, let's dive in there. And I wonder if we can talk about first this idea of you don't want to focus on just self-care or even primarily self-care. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that I would talk about there really is, you know, what organizations have been doing around that. Again, they might be teaching yoga or meditation. All of those tactics are great, but it can't be the only thing that you're doing. There's also a, a lot of emphasis around positivity and sometimes even toxic positivity. I think we've all heard that language over the last couple of years. And so just thinking about the impact of, yes, optimism matters, positivity matters, but not, not in a way that covers up the issues or stops you from having the conversations that you need to be having as an organization to solve the real problems that people are having. Yeah. So Gabe, I saw your eyes light up and I think there might even be, you know, we teach some of this stuff on our HIP program. Do you want to talk about that and how those two things interrelate? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, to Sheree's point, it's it's not the only thing that you do, right? Like you have to have continuous yeah, thank yous, gratitudes and stickers. And we talk about that in the HIP program. But it's also having a good processes in place where it complements each other. It's not just the only thing that you do. Yeah. And so what Gabe's referencing for those who haven't been through our high impact management program is one of the things we teach people is we ask them to build new habits around writing down gratitudes every day, sending out a thank you note once a week to somebody who's done something great and making it super specific and genuine. And then we have people track their mood with every day or like how their workday went with stickers that are very fancy. They are smiley faces, neutral faces, and sad faces so that folks can figure out the patterns in what is working well in their work life. But the key part of this is it's not just we want people to put on a happy face of like, yes, everything is great. Let's put on rose-colored glasses. It's also paired with let's dig into the real issues. And that's where you can see self-care paired with process improvement where you can get really great results. Okay. So in terms of not spending a lot of money, I'm really curious, like what are some of the tactics that you all see that folks can do that are are 
not overly expensive to do that can really impact staff well-being? I think part of it's recognition, right? Like the well-being, it's recognizing someone that does amazing work in a genuine way. You just can't rotate like an employee of the month, but it needs to be someone that's really high performing and, and producing results for, for you and or the patients. So having some sort of, you know, employee of, of the month, I've seen others getting into being raffled off into like small incentives, either some coffee or, you know, a gift basket. In our organization, we were, we had breakfast with our CEO. It was like a catered breakfast. We would go downtown and just speak about the issues that we were seeing and having like that one-on-one, you know, conversation. And it was just not like, you know, just one individual. It was like a, a group of folks. And then they, that really, that was an incentivizing. Like I, I went a couple of times and I think as a, as an employee, it's so like, you don't spend a lot of money. It's breakfast and you're just having a conversation and really digging into the issues of what needs to happen and, and to continue to move the organization forward. That's such a win-win solution. Of You're right, is that doesn't cost a lot of money, but not only I'm sure they brought their superstars together so that you could be heard by the CEO, but I'm sure that the CEO was like taking notes on like, okay, my superstars are saying that we need to fix these specific processes. And, you know, you go in and make those improvements and it helps the organization overall. Yeah, absolutely. I can see why you got invited a couple of times, Gabe. Sorry, were you going to add something, Gabe? I cut you off. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that it was great to see that your ideas and what you were saying, it might have not happened like overnight, right? But there's definitely a follow-up and then you start seeing the transformation. That is a way to have staff well-being. That is not losing the eyes on the prize on, on our patients, but it's fixing some of these issues, having that staff, en- staff engagement um, and well-being, and it's also providing better quality care than we had before. Absolutely. Sheree, what are you thinking? Yeah, I. this really makes me think about how you're communicating as an organization and even maybe setting some goals around staff well-being and maybe processes that drive staff well-being. And so, you know, always looking for well-balanced goals within an organization. But one of the things that we see organizations often set through the goal setting process with us is charting completion, same day charting completion. And so really an emphasis there is to reduce the amount of pajama time providers have uh, documenting and taking care of charting at home. We want them, we want our nursing staff, we want our team members to go home at the end of the day and to be able to disconnect and truly spend time doing the things that they love. And so setting goals and establishing great communication processes to make sure that you're always connecting the dots back to the goals that you've established. So Adrian, to your point earlier about wanting to create or health centers really, you know, being an investment in the communities that they serve and, and the staff being from the communities that they serve. So I think connecting the dots and, and when you're seeing your team reach those goals and connecting the dots back to them saying, yes, we've made this process change. We've heard you. We're trying to take care of you. And in doing so, we're taking better care of our patients and community as well. So I think that communication piece is a critical process and it doesn't cost a dime. Yes. And if I can build on that with the with the idea about setting goals is I see it so frequently that I think it started to drive me a little bit nuts, but we are so bad in community health about like, okay, yes, we have goals, but we set goals. Like we'll have like 50 different goals and it's not like you can't do that. Right. And I'll, I, 
I, you know, I often have leaders that come to me and are like, well, I don't have time to do these things because I'm being pulled in so many directions because we have so many priorities. And I'm like, you're the leaders who set those priorities, right? And if everything's a priority, nothing is a priority. And so I think being really intentional about where do you want to get to an organization and putting all of your effort into the things that you need to do to get there. And as in the spirit of what is it getting rid of stupid stuff, like don't do things that are not absolutely necessary to get you to your goals or that like are a legal requirement, right? Is like, I know at my, at my organization, we were notorious for any grant that came across our desk. We were going to say yes to regardless of if it met our mission, if it was something we were going to be good at, if it was something we could actually do. And let me tell you, it was not good for staff morale whenever we had to give money back because we could, we signed up for this grant and we couldn't really do it. Right. And so being really intentional about what those goals are that you're setting. Completely agree. And you just brought up some great examples of getting rid of stupid stuff. (laughs) Yeah. What other stupid stuff do you all see that can be abandoned? I heard you say stacks of paperwork, Gabe. So I wondered if you wanted to start there. I mean, as an employee, no one likes paperwork. Like it's just such a redundant thing. Like we're in a world where everything can be digital. So finding ways and an avenue is really in creating this platform where you're able to electronically sign compared to giving a a paper to a patient for them to sign, scanning it, and then throwing it away. Like that's such a time consuming, you know, process that those small things are staff well-beings, like making their jobs easier in a way that we're like saying, yes, we need this because, you know, it's, it's a legal form or whatever, which of course we need to sign, but there's also pads now that patients can sign and go directly into the EMRs. And, you know, maybe that's investing some money there, but it's taking off the workload from the employee standpoint, where it's just becoming an overwhelming amount of time to give a paper to a patient, scan it in, and then throwing it away. Like we do nothing with those papers sometimes. And it like kills me to see that not only from a process standpoint, but also from an environment standpoint. Yeah. And Gabe, like the classic example is, I think a lot of people don't kind of forget about like having a piece of paper is not just like one extra piece of paper for patient to fill out. It means that at some point somebody has to print that piece of paper out, help the patient fill it out, put it where it's supposed to go, which often is entering it into the EHR and scanning it somewhere and then figuring out how to like, like destroy it appropriately. And so every piece of paper has this additional work that's tied to it. And having things like that that are make work is so frustrating for staff. I think like my, the piece of paper that I, that basically every organization that is listening to this could go and eliminate right now is a patient history form. I hate patient history forms with like abandoned. Like I just absolutely cannot stand them because I was, I was just at the doctor on Wednesday and they, I'm not even a new patient to this clinic. I'm just a new patient to the provider. And they had me fill out the new patient form. And then at the end of the visit, after he and I had already talked, he's like, oh, I forgot to look at this. Let me just check and make sure there's nothing serious on here. And like, honestly, that's best case scenario for most patients filling out a patient history form is like you have somebody who is a nurse filling this out and so knows what everything on this form means. And eventually the clinician looks at it. Right. But like most of the time, the patients fill it out to the best of their ability, even though we put like like significant, significantly difficult to understand clinical terms on there. And then nobody looks at it ever. And then some poor MA has to go and scan that in. And also it's a liability issue. But 
I mean, you're just talking about also like driving up the cost of all of this, like toner, paper, you know, the like the destruction of, of the HIPAA forms or any, you know, sort of, of like paper that has patient information. And it's so freaking time consuming and like overwhelming and just a compounding effect of like how many sites you have, number of patients, number of providers. And then it's, you just make the math and you're like, yeah, we could definitely invest in some pads, right? Like it, it and it's, it's just thinking differently for sure. Yeah. What's other stupid stuff people can get rid of? I love this category. Yeah, I would challenge leaders to look at the reports that they're receiving. Sometimes, you know, how how often do you receive an automated report that you never actually open up? And more importantly, who had to collect information for you to get that report on the front side? And can you eliminate something there? So that's definitely a space where I think leaders often have opportunity. I love that list of stupid stuff. And I'm sure that there's front desk staff and MAs who are currently like writing down a list of here's all the stupid stuff that I have to do. And so like go and seek that out, whether if it's in a CEO breakfast or some other method to to get those things that I'm sure that your staff see. Just, you know, we're at Coleman Associates, we're all about the practical solutions, right? And so can you can you all share any examples you have of folks who are doing this really well or like folks that you've seen that maybe have made some missteps that others could learn from? So I've seen an organization that we worked out of in the East Coast, and by all means, they mean well. They're just focusing on the wrong price. They're focusing on a lot on the providers, like, I guess, home life balance. But and, and, and I think it's great, but their focus should be on the process to giving that home life balance, right? You can't tell as as an organization like oh you're we're gonna provide you with great home life balance and and you know you're gonna go home on time but you're not putting in the processes in place for them to do so you have to create that platform where yes the eyes and the prizes for the providers and staff to go home on time and have a good life balance and in doing that you have to have good processes in place with like charting in real time starting on time you know, if you will come in late to your job every day, more than likely, you're probably going to have to stay late because you didn't start at the time you were supposed to, right? So it just has a ripple effect. I, I think we're in a world where we want our staff to stay being right. We want staff retention, but we're also not giving them the platform for them to stay with us. We're giving them this platform where we focus too much on that. And in doing so, it bites us in the butt because now doing that created this mess where they're not getting that whole benefit. It's like, I can put it in perspectives, like scheduling rules that are, were meant to help patients schedule appointments easier. But in doing so, it created this disruption where patients are now being scheduled out too far because you have to fit like a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. And Gabe, what you're talking about, I know who you're talking about is I'll, I'll share this image out on social media as part of this podcast, but we have this graphic that's called the unintended consequences of a provider centered culture. Right. And so like, I think it's, it's not an uncommon problem for folks to be super duper focused on what do my providers need? And it, I mean, there's legit stuff behind it, right? Is it's not easy to find primary care providers right now. It's very competitive. There are, there are areas of the country where there just is like an absolute dearth of people. There's a upcoming physician crisis. I mean, we're kind of living through it right now, but like everything we list on the, 
unintended consequences of a provider-centered culture is you end up hurting the providers and everybody else because it ends with, you know, you end up with too many scheduling rules. That means that patients can't get in and therefore inboxes are overflowing and you aren't focused on the team. And so the, the team doesn't feel engaged like the MAs and the front desk staff. And so you have much higher turnover there, which is a huge frustration to providers to work with somebody different every single day. Right. And yeah, I'm thinking of like, it happens all the time where like a provider will change their schedule, but nobody let the person know who oversees the MAs. And so they don't change the MA schedule to match the provider's schedule. It's just like creating that culture where we're not focused on the right things actually hurts everybody. Sheree, what's an example you're thinking of, of someone who is, it has something we can learn from them. Yeah. So there's an organization, they're doing some really great work right now. Historically though, they've struggled with, you know, turnover rate in the 50% range and, and they're not, that's not isolated. We're seeing other health centers in that 50% or 40 to 50% range as well. And one of their struggle points historically was just simply wait time for patients. They would be waiting so often at some point throughout their visit. And so a lot of times that was happening in the waiting room. And so we've been doing work with them to help them fix processes to eliminate that wait time. But part of the driver of that turnover, at least at the front desk, was how often they were managing patients who were so frustrated, right? Just frustrated because they don't have that kind of time to wait. They can't spend 90 minutes or two hours or more in the doctor's office. They need to get back to work. Um, or get back to taking care of children, other things like that. And so eliminating that wait time for patients can can really be a key driver in improving the staff experience and their overall well-being. I mean, if you have patients coming up to the point that they're yelling at you day in and day out, I don't want that job, right? I'm out. And so they're working hard to fix those processes and and make sure that patients aren't waiting probably even magnified if you look at like the call center level of like if you can't provide access to patients and you're basically hiring a group of people to answer the phones and tell patients we can't see you at the time that you want to be seen like of course you have high turnover in that sort of position and so fixing the access problems can have a big impact there. Adrian, that's such a good point when we see those situations we also see triage positions pop up um, because suddenly you know nurses are managing Patients that can't get in for an appointment when they're about out of medications or, or other things like that. And most nurses are not super excited about sitting behind a phone or behind a computer all day long managing poor access. So that's a great point too. Yeah. Plug there for our upcoming triage podcast. It might, I think it'll probably be released right before this one. So you might have already heard it at this point. Who are some of the folks that you see that are doing this well or who get this right? Adrian, I was thinking about an organization that we worked on in the Midwest. They are... You know, a small organization, but with some heavy hitters, like they definitely emptied their cup of water and like let us fill their cup because they took everything that we said. And it's not like a cookie cutter approach, but again, right, like they made it their own and they did so well through the collaborative. They put processes in place. They had great wraparound services. So there was integrated services. It was a really a one-stop shop for the the patients. Yeah, and you could see in their data, Gabe, that as their as their data improved, their staff got happier. Right? Is because you just you don't go work in a community health center for the money. You go and work in a community health center because you want to help people. And every day that you end up not being able to help people just drags on your morale. 
It, it reminds me of another organization that I worked with in Sheree's great state of Iowa. And I'll talk about is the the Spice Girls, who, for those who haven't listened to it, there is an episode featuring the Spice Girls. But I always think of them as such a great example, because even since that episode was recorded, basically their organization has signed them up to basically, with, with their permission, to be clear, to go and coach other folks in their organization at different sites. And just this idea of creating a system where you have that bottom-up approach of change where you can elevate the people who are doing really well and recognizing that work and not just providing and and providing the solutions that your superstars really want to make better processes. I would also say like there's something to be said for how accountability and making sure that you're following up a low performers has a big impact on staff well-being. And to me is like that that's really where I saw somebody take the cultural aspect and be like, okay, we are going to prioritize the folks who are doing the work to make our organization better. And they just like soared after that. I love that you touched about the high performers and low performers, because I think that in itself, like that's where the staff well-being happens that, you know, folks are doing it wrong. You know, and one of the concepts in HIMP in the high impact management program that we discuss is, you know, how do you address low performers and almost every single time that we have this discussion, folks give more work to their high performers than they do to their low performers because they know that's going to happen. But as a employee that you're, you know, helping and, and, and really giving it your all and you keep getting stretched, that's where the well-being happens that it's not addressing it correctly. And then you see that someone that's just slacking or getting less work. That's when it causes this big disruption as far as like, as a manager, you are giving me more work when I'm already, you know, stretching myself for the organization. So it's, it's really looking at how do you, back to your point, hold folks accountable so that there's a level setting of like what's expected, right? From everyone compared to this, is, well, this is what I expect from Sheree, because I know that she's a high performer compared to little John Doe over there that he's a low performer. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so funny. Is like all of us on this call are millennials and the millennial generation always gets made fun of, of like how much we like participation trophies, but like don't do participation trophies in, in your organization, right? Like reward your high performers. This is three millennials begging you to do it of like, it makes such a big difference in terms of it makes such a big difference in terms of staff morale of like when work that like hard work gets recognized, like people appreciate that. So I just want to give a big thanks to Gabe and Sheree for joining me on this. I think we've had like a couple of really practical steps that folks can steal. We talked about making sure that you're getting really clear on what your goals are and communicating those well and giving feedback to folks, getting rid of stupid stuff. Like just, just make that your mantra for like the rest of the year, maybe even 2024, right? And then really thinking about how you can recognize and reward your high performers. I love the example that Gabe gave about having breakfast with the CEO. That's a win-win for the organization or the examples of like, like a, a parking spot, like giving a, an employee of the month to somebody who really deserves it instead of just rotating it and giving out that participation trophy. Um, and so 
try some of this stuff out and then let us know how it goes. You can reach out to us on social media or email us. So again, just a huge thanks to Gabe and Sheree for taking time out of their day to talk to us. Make sure that you like and subscribe to the Coleman Associates Innovation Podcast so that you never miss an episode. You can get it anywhere you get your podcasts. If you or someone that you know should be interviewed for an episode, shoot us an email at notify at colemanassociates.com or reach out to us on social media. We'd also love to hear if there's specific topics that you want to hear about. And to keep up with all the Chispa happenings, make sure that you follow us on LinkedIn. And a big shout out to Nikolai and his team for all of their podcasting help. We'll see you next time. Uh-huh.